1: Twitter updates the news of last week's incident. Pyongyang's cyber toolkit keeps pace with changing circumstances. Beijing is said to be behind recent cyber campaigns against India and Hong Kong. France's partial permission for Huawei to operate in that country now looks like a ban with a 2028 deadline. A quiet crypto miner. The cyber threat to British sport. A Weiss Rashid from the University of Bristol on cybersecurity and remote working. John Ford from IronNet Cybersecurity, with updated 2020 predictions and cyber priorities. And when it comes to cyber, bosses and employees see things differently. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. Twitter has updated its account of last week's account hijacking incident. Quote, we believe that for up to 36 of the 130 targeted accounts, the attackers accessed the DM inbox, including one elected official in the Netherlands. To date, we have no indication that any other former or current elected official had their DMs accessed. Quote. Tripwire thinks the Dutch elected official was Geert Wilders, who confirmed to Yahoo that he was indeed the one affected. He's now regained control of his account. Reading between the lines, as Graham Cluley puts it in his piece for Tripwire's State of Security, Twitter's mention of the elected official in the Netherlands is seen as a slandicular reassurance from the House of Dorsey that the direct messages of former U.S. President Obama and presumptive U.S. Democratic presidential candidate Biden are safe and secure, whatever nonsense might have been tweeted out during the period of high-profile account hijacking. Krebs on Security believes at least two of the New York Times' sources in last week's story on those responsible for the Twitter hack weren't hemi-semi-demi-innocent collectors of original gangster usernames, but were themselves active resellers in the underground OG black market. France had earlier this year announced that it intended to permit Huawei equipment into non-critical portions of its telecommunications infrastructure— And that policy was widely seen as a win for Huawei, which appeared to have successfully got the French government over a barrel. But not so fast. Reuters reports that this apparently permissive decision, in fact, amounted to a policy of eliminating Huawei from French infrastructure by 2028, which, while giving Shenzhen a somewhat longer runway than it was allowed by a recent UK decision, amounts to the closing of another major market. Security researchers at Cisco Talos describe the low-key, unobtrusive workings of the Promatai botnet quietly mining Monero since this March. Prometai is unlikely to escape the notice of defenders who are on the watch for the kind of activity it exhibits, but the researchers think that most end-users probably wouldn't be aware of an attack. Prometai exhibits several features of the miter attack framework, Most notably, T1089, disabling security tools, T1105, remote file copy, T1027, obfuscation files or information, T1086, PowerShell, T1035, service execution, T1036, masquerading, and T1090, connection proxy. So here's a question. Why should you care if some hoods installs a crypto miner on your devices? It's no skin off your nose, right? Actually, no, and here's the skin. There's a drain on computing power and its attendant degradation of system performance. More seriously, in this case, is the botnet's harvesting and validation of credentials, which it uses primarily to move laterally across networks. That's bad enough, but consider the aftermarket value of the stolen credentials themselves in the criminal-to-criminal market, And that alone should be enough to make anyone want to up their game against Prometai. The UK's National Cyber Security Centre has published an assessment of the cyber threat to sports. Important because, quote, Sport is central to British life. It provides massive health, social and economic benefits to the nation, contributing to over £37 billion to the UK economy each year. End quote. This makes the sector attractive to attackers. Crooks like it on the Willie Sutton-esque grounds that that's where the money is, and nation-states might be drawn to it because, well, if they wished Britain ill, they might sap its morale by attacking football, cricket, dog racing, and so on. As it is, however, the report concentrates on the former, its crime that the world of sport should be concerned with. The three trends NCSC discerns are, first, business email compromise— Next, cyber-enabled fraud, that is, things like mandate fraud, CEO fraud, conveyancing fraud, and invoice fraud. And finally, of course, ransomware. Which is to say that sport in the UK is susceptible to much the same sorts of cybercrime that afflict other businesses, from the physician's practice to the local realtor, from the bank to the oil company. Among the capers reported are an attack that interfered with a Premier League football, that is, soccer, as we translate for our North American listeners, transfer, that is, a trade, as it's generally called on this side of the Atlantic, various ransomware incidents, and an attack that disabled turnstiles to keep supporters, that is, what we Americans call fans, out of a stadium. The last-named turnstile hack is particularly interesting as an example of a disabling Internet of Things attack. The NCSC's report is worth a look in any case for its accessible explanations of the threats and its common-sense recommendations for improving security. Small businesses, in particular, might profit from a reading. No nation-state hacks reported? Well, sure. In general, sport probably isn't going to be of much interest to espionage services— And the NCSC report doesn't mention any. But there's a track record even here of some nation-state activity. Remember Russian acts against anti-doping authorities and laboratories? And against targets associated with the last round of Olympic Games, when Russian athletes were widely disqualified when they were found taking performance-enhancing drugs. With 2020 more than halfway over, and some would say, thank goodness... It's worth remembering that back in January, we spoke with many cybersecurity professionals who looked in their crystal balls and shared their predictions for what 2020 might bring. Looking back, knowing what we know now, those predictions were just plain adorable. John Ford is Senior Security Strategist at IronNet Cybersecurity, and he joins us with updated 2020 predictions as well as why it's important to adjust our focus and be flexible when talking about our cyber priorities. 2020
0: was already going to be an interesting year given the fact um, that it's an election year. So, you know, we fully anticipated, you know, cyber events uh, as we got closer to the election related to the campaigns, you know, voting systems, if you will, right? You know, the covid Put that into a very different, um, you know, gear on, in the car, if you will, <laughs> and it's changed the landscape uh, significantly. And how so? So, for for one, we still have uh, those same campaigns going on, you know, that you would have in the election year. But now we've added to it in a couple of different uh, arenas. Like one, you know, now we have you know people, both private sector and public sector. Scrambling to how do I secure this remote workforce, and I don't know how long I'm going to need it for. So we have that scenario, and then we have a couple of other scenarios. You know, um, our adversaries uh, obviously want to take advantage of this, right? And it's something I call. Um, you know, I was having a conversation the other day with somebody. It's, it's space race 2.0. Um, you know, United States and China collectively. I think there's about nine companies between the two countries that are really actively pursuing a vaccine, and and this is very very similar to you know what we saw in the space race right where it's not just a matter of national pride it's a you know it could become an economic boom for you know for whichever country is first to market and there's a diplomatic component uh, that goes along with it as well because you know who's first to the market kind of gets to dictate who gets the vaccine right mm-hmm. and you you can you can do a lot with diplomatic relations that You know, are are masked by the humanitarian component that you want to uh, you want to share. But so those, you know, what the result is, those companies that are developing those vaccines, you know, we already know that they're they're way under, you know, they're they're very much under attack right now. It's going to be a very interesting um, year from that perspective. And I wouldn't be surprised. And this is, you know, just uh, my own thinking. But I really wouldn't be surprised if we saw something closer to the election where one nation or another announces, you know, hey, we're very close to coming out with a vaccine. You know, it just wouldn't shock me.
1: <laughs> if I'm an organization out there looking to protect myself, how do I calibrate my efforts against the, the folks that are coming at me, you know, from nation states, from, uh, from online organized crime? I mean, how do I set the standard or my own understanding of what they're capable of?
0: Well, In isolation, you can't because, you know, it's been proven time and time again. Most private sector companies, even the best of the best, don't have, you know, the tools, talent, and resources, really, to defend against a nation state like China. We need some sort of a force multiplier to join forces within our sector and not compete, but to say, hey, you know, within this sector, we have 10 companies and we're leveraging the resources of all 10 to defend against that nation-state adversary. And in that model, if we're participating with government entities as well, then we have a chance, right? But today's model, it's just a matter
1: of time. That's John Ford from IronNet Cybersecurity. PwC has published the results of a survey it took a week and a half ago to assess the state of cybersecurity awareness in businesses. As one might expect, the results showed that the leaders' perceptions differed significantly from those of the lead. The PWC survey concludes, quote, The communication and training they offer on cybersecurity and cyber acumen aren't resonating with employees. Most workers have little awareness of how their employers are protecting them or their company from hackers, ransomware, phishing, or other attacks. In some cases, employees are even flouting security rules by downloading unsecure apps or sharing their work device with family members. Among other recommendations, the report suggests that companies stress the personal implications of security to their employees. That is, don't tell them about how a data breach could hurt the business. Instead, tell them how it could hurt them through identity theft. We might put it this way, if you're in the habit of saying things like Now that we provided training, I don't want to hear that anyone has clicked a phishing link in an email. Well, it will work in this sense. You won't hear it. Remember, friends, bad news isn't like good wine. It doesn't improve with age. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Professor Awais Rashid. He's a professor of cybersecurity at Bristol University. Awais, uh, it's great to have you back. Um, I want to touch today on cybersecurity and remote working, which, of course, is uh, top of mind for lots of folks these days as we make our way through the global pandemic. W- what, what can you offer on that topic for us today?
2: We've all worked from home at different different points in time. You know, in, ma- in many jobs, people, people can sometimes, you know, stay and, and work remotely, and some people work sort of more often remotely than others. But the present pandemic, what it has done is it has led to many many people and whole organizations working working remotely and that that brings to the fore the importance of uh, cybersecurity uh, and uh, also consideration of uh, the security and privacy properties of the platforms that we are using to conduct our work from home and it's not just the platforms, there is all sorts of other complicated issues that for example, organizations need to consider because in some cases, employees will have devices that are given to them from their workplace. But in other cases, because of the way the lockdown and the pandemic unfolded, that wasn't always possible for organizations to do. And especially in smaller organizations that may not have been the case in any way possible. And the next result of that is that people may be actually using shared devices that they shared with other family members. They may also be working in Settings where they are actually in shared houses or in shared spaces and so on. So there is a lot of these considerations that previously where we could consider that employees will be in a workplace, there will be particular security policies in place with regards to that workplace. That doesn't necessarily apply. We are effectively in this kind of a, a virtual workplace setting. And the security teams in organizations as well as at the more strategy level organizations need to consider what does that mean for the cybersecurity of the organization as a whole. The employees also need to consider as to what that means in terms of their responsibility, but critically, very important to consider, you know, what is feasible and feasible in terms of secure ways of working in in, in this kind of setting.
1: You know, as we settle in with this, you know, being a couple months in now, I suppose there's an issue, too, that as people make adjustments to their home setup. They could get a new computer or get a new router or, or add new devices or their kids could get new devices. I, I suppose it's harder for the folks who are in charge of security for an organization to keep track, of, just from an inventory point of view, of what's accessing what. Uh, yes, absolutely. And no, normally when you are in a workplace,
2: you have a set of devices that you have procured, you have you have given given to your to your employees. And I go back to my very early example that in this case people may actually be working from shared devices that are personal devices that they share with other family members. They may be sitting in kind of shared shared settings. But also what about the security hygiene of those devices because uh, on a on a corporate network for example you may be running various types of security tools that may be monitoring for example for malware for for viruses and other other types of issues that is not necessarily happening in a remote remote work setting of course you know we can require that uh, people sort of uh, log into organizational systems using using VPNs, but that only guarantees the security of that link. That does not necessarily guarantee the security of the kind of wider network in which that device is actually uh, in place. In the first instance, and then of course, you know, VPNs interfere with some of the services. For example, we are recording this session today without a VPN because it, it interferes with the recording, and uh, and so <laughs> on. So it's, it's no, but that's a very practical example, right? So yeah. You know when when you are and for example in our in our own work you know we've been trying to run labs with students remotely and actually the the routers in some cases interfere with the kind of the devices that we had given them to, to use for their lab work so there the, the, it's not a simple scenario anymore where your it systems are Completely or largely within your control, and you can you can make sure that particular security policies are enforced, particular security properties are in place, particular countermeasures are in place, and and this leads to a really really interesting uh, question as to how do we actually ensure cyber security for organizations which effectively are now operating in a virtual uh, organization setting uh, uh, with their employees distributed all over the place.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's it's an ongoing, interesting uh, issue to uh, to to get your arms around. Awais Rashid, thanks for joining us. Our lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program, with the largest network of trust centers.